Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Today, we are excited to share with you the first installment of our discussion with the always engaging duo, Professor Richard Pomp and Jordan Goodman. You won't want to miss this discussion where we get the backstory of how their top 10 list came to be and their thoughts on some recent tax issues, including the North Carolina tax case against Quad Graphics and Public Law 86272. So, gentlemen, how did the Big Easy Brawl start and why do you all continue to publicly banter with each other? Oh, I know how it started. I don't think he remembers, but um, <laughs> people viewed him as, uh, who's that guy on Fox News? Carlson Tucker or something? Oh my God. My family's watching this. My family's going to watch this. No, can't and then, that. You know, good looking guy, <laughs> spreading misinformation, large following, making a lot of money. And people came to me and they said, you got to, you know, you got to stop him. You got to just tell people the truth and, and justice and everything else. One should be like Rachel Maddow. Uh, and I said, OK. And that's how I, I met Jordan. I watched a couple of his tapes and I said, this is pretty outrageous. I can't believe this crap. No, actually, it's, it's similar to that, but very different. So he got it right that I was asked to. To participate with him, but really, what what the people at IPT and ABA down to, who organized the big brawl, they spent some time looking down at the ground, and I was like, "What the heck are they doing?" They're looking at the ground. They are looking to see who had really big feet, because there was amazingly big shoes to fill, and that was of Paul Frankel's. Because Paul and Professor Pomp used to debate in the big brawl. They've done it at Hartman and NYU all over the country. They've had this wonderful camaraderie battle, informative, humorous thing. And then Paul stepped away for a little bit, as we all know. Paul Franco, one of the godfather of state local tax. And they're looking for somebody who finally, you know, it's almost like the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals. Paul beat down on Professor Pomp every event, everywhere they were, and they felt bad. So they said, you know, the Washington Generals have to win somebody. Who can we get? And they looked at me and they said, well, here's somebody you beat up on. And that's how it got started. It is true. They said, here's a lightweight for you. So, <laughs> and that's the way it all started. Why do we continue doing this? Why do we debase each other? Debase ourselves. I consider it an honor and a privilege to just talk oh. with you. You are one of the smartest, well-versed constitutional state tax people I've ever met in my life. And I, and, and, I, and, and, and I am in it just for the money. That's all. <laughs> right, you get the good lunch. <laughs> I would go to some third grade class if they paid me what they pay me to debate uh, this guy over there. So it's, but it, it is, it is honestly, it is always fun to prepare for presenting with Professor Pomp. We get to talk about different things, and we're not constrained by uh, necessarily a client's position. We're able to look at stuff around the country and give our opinion on it, and we do agree a lot, but we also disagree on some things. And Professor Pomp is very good about that. And where were about we disagreeing? Last? <laughs> where were we last? Was that Nashville or? Yeah, or? we were at we were Nashville. Uh, Nashville. And ago. I believe, I believe you correct me if I'm wrong, that I showed off Jordan's body to the audience at Nashville. Right, his flat stomach and yeah. opened up his sport jacket. It was a. I, I may have been doing that. I don't know. <laughs> For those, it was pretty outrageous. 
So Nashville's also the site of one of the most famous things in state and local tax. It's the Roberto Duran moment. For those who don't remember, he was fighting Sugar Ray Leonard. In the middle of the fight, he said, no mas, no mas, and left the ring, right? Yeah, right. Craziness. About, I don't know, like six years ago, was it, Professor Pop? Right in the middle, we got 15, 20 minutes to go in our presentation. He gets up and leaves the building, left the building. Something about hey, some kind of plane. Hey, I think uh, actually I had beaten him down so badly he couldn't take any more and had to leave. No, no, it's prostate issues at this stage. <laughs> I had to leave early. So, yeah, I, I think I came back and no one's there anymore. <laughs> I couldn't find the bathroom. It was a big no, it, it really is just, it's fun to debate about it. I think uh, we get some good questions. We get some good comments. It's always fun to talk about the latest topics in our chosen state and local tax field. How do you all determine what you are going to talk about? Is it just kind of a, here's kind of what everyone else is talking about. Here's what we find interesting. It's a, that's a combination great. of the two. You pick battles, you can intentionally win. You can jump in. I'm going to say, so what I do is kind of collect cases over the year. I put something together. I send it to Professor Pop, and he goes, no, 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 no. And then sends me a bunch of cases he wants to talk about. Now, the little known secret is 90% of all the cases he sends me, he is the key witness in it. He is the expert <laughs> witness. So really, I just got to follow him around. I don't have to prepare if you <laughs> approach. Jordan has, shall we say, rather eclectic tastes in cases and uh, sends them to me. I've never heard of most of them. Most of them seem to have no implications for anything other than Jordan likes them. And we go back and forth. Jordan puts together the outline. I always give him credit and uh, make it clear all the mistakes are his, all the typos are his. <laughs> he has a way of spelling de minimis with a U, which irks me no end. De minimis oh, all eyes. He should know that by now. Little stuff like that. So. <laughs> but it is, a, you know, the typical creative process. We start off with something raw. We keep working it back and forth. We get cases in there. We organize them. Uh, then we assign who's going to do which one. And then the other one prepares to counterpoint anything the other one says. And then on occasion, we find ourselves in agreement. And it's really interesting, too, depending upon the audience, we do tailor our thoughts. Right. Uh, for Hartman in particular, there's a lot of governmental people, so you can't be ripping on the government. You got to compliment them a little bit. So our, our our dialogue does change depending upon who's in the audience. Yeah. Um, Jordan believes in what Groucho Marx once said. Those are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have other principles. So uh, <laughs> depending on the audience, he just trots out a whole different Jordan Goodman. But that's the way it is. I, I am the same no matter who the audience is. I have, I have what I believe in and I don't alter it. So unless there's a big donor in the, in the crowd or something, then that's different. But... <laughs> But normally we make, you know, a couple thousand bucks for every gig. Yeah, I forget what we're making for this podcast, but a couple thousand ballpark of our normal speaking fee. You know, negotiable, of course. And furthering your your prominence. I mean, this is you're talking to the big dogs here, right? Like we're I love our listenership is it's gonna tri it's gonna triple after this. <laughs> you have three people then. Jordan's inspiration to uh, all the uh, the people, the young the youngsters in the audience. They look at him and say, "Boy, if he could do it, so can I." Anybody can, absolutely. Yeah. So. He brings out the extrovert and the introverts. That's for sure. <laughs>
What do you mean? Tax people are known for their personalities. We're vibrant. We're bubbly. We're the most popular people at the party. I mean. <laughs> I think that's why we all have successful careers is because we're not the typical look it up in the dictionary kind of people, right? We, yeah. We right. enjoy people. We like going out. We have a good time. And, you know, the, I think the one thing we do all share is this kind of passion for this goofy, arcane area, right? Right. Talk about stalt and people say past it because they want to put it on their meat. That's not something <laughs> people care about. So it's, it's you know, that's something that we all desperately really enjoy. It's fun to read the cases. It's fun yeah. to see what's going on. And I think we like it so much. We share that and it comes out when, when we present. Yeah, right? I right? agree with that. Great professional lives. Dating life, not so good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I got my partner uh, before before I committed to a career in state and local tax. So he's in. Otherwise, so... Um, With a, you must have a strong prenup then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he no, that was always. He my doesn't key. listen to this. I don't. I don't make that much money, but he is. He is an educator in the public school no. sector. Okay, so well, then one of the cases that we kind of wanted to talk about and can it kind of seems as if it's got a lot of kind of implications with what what happened in Wayfair was the NC Quad Graphics North Carolina DOR case that you all had on your list. Um, in your most recent, in one of your yeah. recent top tens, um, I do believe as I was reading it, I did see the pomp name come up. That's why I love that so, case. <laughs> We've already, it's just proof of the pudding see? now. We're, we're supporting all sides <laughs> of the argument. We've got, you know, <laughs> yep. the, uh, I'm going to pick something that I was a witness in. However, it does seem to, you know, kind of impact oh potentially. Maybe some stuff that's happening. Just to set the record straight, it were it was an article of mine that was okay. cited by the court. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, I was not in that case. Yep, yep. Uh, and if you want to get on my good side, just cite me. Whatever Christmas <laughs> newsletters, whatever you want. It's uh, all good, all good. But quad, yes. What do you think, Jordan? I have very strong views. I and suspect well, you do. I well. do too. I, I think it is a. Um, what's the right Latin for it? Stupidest. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not all get excited about this. I mean, the important point is it, it kind of clarified what Complete Auto says. It clarified what Dilworth said. It clarified what Wayfair said with respect to precedent, transactional nexus. Okay. Uh, going back to Dilworth, you know, so here's something I look. Dilworth was the Arkansas case. We talked about that. Professor Pop was there. He either bought something from the Tennessee sellers. That was a 1937 um, so Arkansas, Arkansas adopted a sales tax. Then no. Dilworth came by. And do you know when they adopted a use tax in Arkansas? 1949. You know why they adopted a use tax? Because they lost Dilworth. And no. still, it took them a while to get there. But yeah. they didn't have a use tax in Arkansas. This is a use tax case, not a sales tax case. Right. It's, it's well, you know, not. The assessment was for the sales tax. Don't mm -hmm. South Dakota, with their uh, groundbreaking statute, it was failure to collect their sales tax. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not, uh, you know, should have been drafted, uh, as Jordan suggests, failure to collect the use tax. So, Quad, I, I, I will, in the interest of harmony, I will 
agree with Jordan. I don't like labels like transactional nexus. I have a much simpler approach to this. They had a sales tax, North Carolina, and therefore you need a sale if you're going to collect a sales tax. And there was no sale in North Carolina because title passed outside of North Carolina, possession passed outside of North Carolina. Where's your, your hook to levy a sales tax? There's no sale. Now, you could call that lack of transactional nexus. I think that just confuses things. What I find interesting, Jordan, the taxpayer presumably did not file a return, and therefore the statute has not run. Why don't they just cure this by issuing a second assessment for failure to collect use tax? Um, no, I, I agree with you on that, and that kind of hurts me a little bit. But there are statute limitations. If you don't file for use tax, sometimes it's six years. It gets extended double what the normal statute is limitation. But there are statute limitations on use tax. But what I what I find more interesting about this, and it might be because there are different types of taxes, but the the apportionment. This was a sourcing case, as with mm -hmm. Dilworth. It's sourcing about where did the sale occur. All right, that's all well and good. But we've got uh, the Mia and Greenscape cases out of Ohio dealing with the cat, where Ohio has adopted the ultimate destination test. And so I had a case there, not one of those, where the trucks came to New Mexico to pick up the goods and they weren't our trucks or someone else's trucks, ultimately went back to Ohio for temporary storage and they moved on. And we ended up having to pay Ohio cat tax on that. Not on a use tax, obviously, or sales tax on a transact on a cat, a value-added tax, but the ultimate destination test seemed to be accepted by the Ohio Supreme Court as a legitimate tax. And then it's no, you know, talk about lack of transaction, where did the sale occur? It all occurred outside, but they said it ultimately ended up in Ohio. And that was enough. Ultimately ended up. And I have a tough time reconciling those. Yeah, well, maybe you should start by acknowledging Ohio has a gross receipts turnover tax and not a sales tax. So we're dealing with a different type of tax right from the get-go. It doesn't have a use tax because it's a turnover tax, a gross receipts tax. A, turn, a use tax wouldn't make much sense. And, uh, and therefore, forget your sales tax learning the, the sales tax is interesting because you can sell tangible personal property and deliver it to a distributor. They're your purchaser. They store it in a warehouse and the sale will be viewed as occurring in that state, even though it could be transshipped the afternoon it arrives in the, uh, the day it arrives. It could be transshipped. And we're very formalistic about this destination test in a sales tax. We don't. We never look through it. Well, the grocery seat tax is is different, and it's almost like a look through ultimate destination. Just stops here momentarily, and then continues on its way the next day. And Ohio would say, well, if it ultimately ends up here, that's uh, uh, a grocery seat from Ohio. So you, you get I mean, it is quirky that the grocery tax is extremely quirky. Right. It's tax from the mid age, middle ages. But to, to the question here, right, uh, and it's quite graphics. It can be cured. Uh, you know, it's a great victory, taxpayer victory. 
it re, it, it kind of said that Wayfair really had nothing to do with Dilworth. It didn't talk about sourcing and it doesn't talk about sourcing, although your point about a sales tax in South Dakota is correct. That's the way the statute is written. But really, if they had done it correctly, we wouldn't even having this discussion. If they had assessed a use tax, a use yeah. tax selection obligation under Wayfair, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Correct. And, we, and I don't know why they haven't subsequently done it. That's my question. Right. For it to go all the way through the courts and to a decision seems like kind of a waste of everybody's time. Uh, absolutely right. And now we have a decision that's out there in the universe to review and compare and kudos, contrast. You know, kudos, to, I think it was Mike Bowen's case. Kudos to him for arguing what was before him, that they issued a sales tax and that's not appropriate. And he lost at the hearings, won in the, in, on appeal in the circuit court. But really, if you're sitting and talking to your taxpayer, you go, We're, we may win this, um, but you know you're going to pay eventually. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to figure it out. Yeah. It was, uh, it was just a screw-up by the tax department. Right. And then do you do a VDA now on the use tax side and avoid interest and penalties by doing the VDA for these years? They assess you on sales tax. I just can't imagine spending all that money to take it to court and you know pay your attorney fees, you know, depending yeah. on what's in question. So it costs a lot of money to yeah. ramp up for a lawsuit, good fifty thousand dollars, I would say. So you gotta have enough in question to take that through and then continue on, right? And yeah. the years of waiting. Yeah, so. I mean sure yeah. put on a contingency basis for you, but that may as you're a buddy of his, I don't know. <laughs> Are you doing much of these on contingencies today? Uh, I would say uh, very, very none. Yeah, <laughs> very none. <laughs> you know, it makes sense to, uh, to taxpayer, but they like, I don't know, they, they shy away from it. Why is that? The Why contingent fees or the contingent fees? fees at, no, a contingent fee basis why do they shy away from that I, no, no no I, I we've done some you know hybrid alternative you know yeah. rate stuff like that we do all that our firm is structured we're meat and potatoes we do it on hours that's how we survive we do well with yeah. that system my bucket but no i i mean i've certainly done cases where there's some kind of alternative uh fee arrangement because cases are good you know, and then we take a risk right. and, and the clients like it because they're, if they feel like you're buying in, you're going to give it your best effort because that's how you get paid and it's worked out. Yeah, yeah. I, I find taxpayers shy away from it more than they should. It's perfectly, it's a rational way to, sh to share risk. Yeah. yeah, but they don't want you to get a windfall as an attorney of like 30% of the of the, the winnings. Uh -huh. So that probably is part of it too, because it's a giant fee compared to... The effort, it, right? It, it, yes, it can be, but that's what risk sharing sometimes. Yeah. Is. Yeah, but if we save ten million dollars, aren't we entitled to half a million dollars of that? I mean, right? Isn't that something? Aren't we? I mean, I'm just saying. It? Sometimes yeah. no, I no. wonder. I, I, I get. I, I think it's just hard. It's really hard from a budgeting perspective, unless mm -hmm. it's pure contingency. Right. Yep. They, right. They find that uh, corporate America really likes to have things known and budgeted, and it yes. could be more to budget and know it than it would be if you paid on a contingency fee. But that's kind of the way that they like it. Uh, yeah, uh, I think you're right. So yeah. you do project fees now, right? It's becoming increasingly common. Taxpayers who ask for a project fee. Yeah, and project fees. perfect budget. So like a kind of a fixed fee is what you mean kind by that. Yeah, right? This fee. is the scope. Yep, we do that yeah, a lot. And, and litigation is probably the the biggest wild card there. Yeah, because I know for corporate deals and trusts. 
updates, things like that, you know, return preparation, fix fees are all good, but I think litigation is a wild card. And I think, you know, from our perspective, we're, we'll talk about a win and retain it, but we're going to protect ourselves a little bit because the, you know, discovery can go crazy. And that's what yes. usually goes on. Uh, interlocutory appeals go crazy, all those kind of things. That's a lot of time before you right. even get a decision. If it's yeah. a motion for summary judgment and we don't need even Professor Pomp as an expert witness, a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, cool. Big mistake, big mistake, but okay. Not not having an expert, whether it's me or anyone else, big mistake. No, no. No, Professor Pomp's great because he's one of those wind-up toys because you, you ask him a question and then you could just go on pause for like an hour while he explains it to the judge. He gets his pizza explanation out, talks about a portrait and pizza the pie. It's beautiful. It's a, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. We've got videotape. And you can just zone out <laughs> think about, you know, what you're going to have for lunch at that point. It's all good. <laughs> you know the judges don't understand this stuff. I mean, there's not a lot of judges Actually, out there that really I, understand tax. Part of Professor Pump's genius is his ability to break it down to everybody right yep. to the, the reasonable person common man common woman common person that's yep. what his, that's what his his genius is is being able to take our complex most complex stuff and say here's how it is and use general things found in the kitchen to explain it to a judge so they can understand it judge may i approach the chart <laughs> and may i pull out my kitchen knife <laughs> next piece is you need to be doing that with all the state legislators the same people who have no idea what they're doing either meredith is so right i once testified in vermont they uh, they weren't combined reporting at this time and I was there to help maybe uh, bring it over the line. And I got that, uh, got done talking about Delaware holding companies and transferring the IP. This is in the, you know, the Jeffrey era. Right. And the, it's a part-time legislature, at least then. And the, there are a bunch of farmers. And this farmer said to me, he said, I'm not sure I followed that, Professor. But let me see if I have it right. So they sit in New York and they create uh, some fictional something or other in Delaware. And we get screwed here in Vermont. Is that the gist? <laughs> I yes. go, yeah, I, I, I think you got I think you followed That's the exactly right. Exactly he right. Said, I'm voting for this here combined. What was Professor <laughs> Combined Reporting? Combined Reporting. <laughs> We're going to stop. Not that screw job. Not combine <laughs> reporting. Very good. Cause they're all dairy farmers. Right. Reporting. I'm going to use that next <laughs> I'm in that has agriculture. I like that. Right. And think about how much we say, okay, well, what's the legislative intent? Ah! Oh, no, <laughs> someone told him to vote this way. That's what the legislative intent was. Yes. I think it's to stop. We're getting screwed somehow. We're not sure. It was to stop that. Stop getting screwed. That's our intent. Yes, good. <laughs> More money in our coffers. Yeah. Well, then kind of using that as a transition for potentially more money, potentially getting screwed and or, you know, waiting on the legislation to potentially do something. The MTC, right, has a, a revised statement associated with Public Law 86-272 and kind of clarifying maybe some interpretations related to the internet stuff. Um, 
I'm going to go out on a limb and maybe say that you all might have some opinions on it, on what was uh, done <laughs> related did, to... Did you, hear, did you hear Jordan moan? I thought I moaned. <laughs> that was a growl. Uh, yeah. Growl, and, uh, moan. by a, a smirk. Mm. You should go first on this. Okay, so here, here's my thought about that. <laughs> I don't know why 86272 exists anymore, but it does. It's on the books and should be respected. I think what the MTC is adjusting is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Just, but I'll hold back. I'll, I'll be reserved about it. It is absolutely the dumbest policy I've ever seen because it basically doesn't exist anymore, right? They're going to cut the heart out of 86272. Correct. And it doesn't exist anymore. That's not their function. That's not their role. Get the get the law repealed. Because what happens here is just a pure trap for the unwary. And, and what we right. talked about when Professor Pop and I talked about this last was how does this get resolved? Some states can adopt the MCC policy, go after somebody claiming 86272, say you've got cookies in the state, they're taking yep. this, they're doing that, they're it's not non-static activity. They're yep. not static, they're not session cookies, they're persistent cookies, they're getting all this kind of information, and they're gonna sue somebody. And that person's gonna fight them. And they're gonna fight them up to the highest court because now it's a federal federal law that's being interpreted. It's state court, US Supreme Court. They're going to win or they're going to lose. Let's say the MTC wins. Let's say that the world has changed. Six years later, we find out that this position that someone took is good. So what happens? They go back retroactively against everybody else. Right. That's stupid policy. If the law doesn't make sense anymore, you either got to expand it to include everybody or get rid of it from a policy perspective. It's an old law that's supposed to be temporary. Six months. That's all people thought it would be. It would be six months, a year, two years. That was in 1959. Okay, we still have it. We still have it. This is ridiculous. Either it's a good law and we have to observe it and expand it or we get rid of it. But to do it by death by a thousand cuts is ridiculous. But that's my feeling. <laughs> I, I, I need some oxygen in this room. I think <laughs> you know what I, I can imagine happening. The same thing we saw in the sales tax area where we have professors of electrical engineering and physics debating whether electricity is tangible or intangible. Something they had never thought about in their life, nothing they've ever taught, no textbook on quantum physics has an entry under the intangible, tangible discussion. And here they are talking about the nature of electricity. And we are going to see the same thing when it comes to, well, where's the cookie actually inserted? And what is a cookie? And uh, is that a business activity that occurs in the customer's state? If the cookie is inserted at the vendor's location, all of that, I think it's just going to be hopeless. And the MTC, the, the premise of all of their examples is that when you're dealing with a website, that's business activity in the state. And that's what 86272 starts off saying, if you're only business activity. So they say, okay, well, this is business activity, but in all of the juicy cases, it's not the only activity because you now have cookies in the state that are gathering important information that you're going to use. 
And uh, I, uh, I agree with Jordan. This will just go on and on and on in litigation. I hope no state will adopt it retroactively, but you, you never know, do you? But, well, and I'm just curious with the MTC doing this. I mean, is it because they just don't have the power to reverse PL 8672 because it's a federal? So it's their way to override it um, administratively and push for adoption, but right? It's like, but they have no authority. Like, you've got to right. do, someone has to do something with their kind of like thoughts, right? Correct. They have right. to adopt it. The SEC they are not, not a legislature. Issuing, yeah, they're right. not. A, it, MTC can't uh, uh, issue an assessment, right? Not on on their own. They right. have to get permission by a state. They can do audits on behalf of a state. Mm-hmm. It's states that can enforce it. So the MTC can't. So they put it out to their member states. Someone's going to adopt it. Someone's going to do it. Have you guys heard tell of anybody who might be adopting it? Do you guys have any wind of that? Not yet. No, okay. not yet. But you kind yeah. of think like realistically, wouldn't you, from a state's perspective? be stupid not to kind of like Wayfair, like wouldn't you be stupid not to impose these other than potentially if there's a legislative or like a legal challenge to it and they don't want to go through that. But remember what happened to Wayfair, South Dakota adopted it. A couple other States adopted it. And then once they won, you know, it was right. But pre Wayfair, there were 15 States that had adopted Wayfair. I mean, 15 of the 46, well, 45 plus DC that had a sales tax law. So I'm like, that's kind of a lot if you think about it, and including you know, New York. No, but I but mean, big think, states. Let's go back to the late 80s, too, before Quill was decided. How many states adopted regular and systematic solicitation as economic nexus standard, right? Right. 30, 30 something states adopted it, and they got shot down in Quill, right? Yeah, so, that's a good point. Okay. You know, yeah, strength in numbers in, in many areas, but doesn't guarantee it. I just feel like with the sales tax licensure, you know, really growing exponentially across the nation with lots of million dollar a year companies, they're exceeding thresholds in one way or the other in one place or another, you're in the system now, right? And now you're Mm -hmm. just, it just builds on itself. So I see this as just unwrapping itself to more compliance and no company is going to know how to manage their PLD 6272 or not. They don't even know what that means as a small seller. Judy, your point is really well made because the reality of is the reality of this is everybody who buys online now mm-hmm. or has selling from remotely wants it next day, same day, yesterday, Absolutely. right? So what does that mean? That means you have inventory everywhere. That's the whole Amazon piece of it. About yep. they have your inventory all over the country. Now you've gone beyond eighty six two seventy two and all these. Years. So Alrighty. we're getting there already without yep. the cookie stuff with actually physical presence having inventory. There's some lawsuits that have been thrown out saying it's not our inventory. It's actually Amazon's inventory. Whatever, but. We are getting there, but not through some ludicrous, bad proposal trying to change the metaphysical way of how we determine physical presence in a state and activities in a state. But don't you think we should just drop having a remote employee? I mean, one remote employee is Nexus. I mean, that I just think that is just uh, silly to me. Like, and especially now post COVID or what if it's the COVID. CEO though? What if it's the CEO? Right. What is the, does that mean that they're because they're getting paid more, they're making more decisions, they're more important that the company is doing business there? No, of course not. You, I mean, so, you're yeah. working remotely. We're talking. You're in Illinois. I don't know where you are. Your secret place, Richard, Professor Paul. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I gotta, you know, philosophically, I, I don't I don't know if I can agree with you with that, because at some point. 
why aren't we all subject to text everywhere? Everywhere, right? right. Well, that's and, where and I think we're going. Establish some de minimis level of overall sales or sales into the state. Of course, sales right. into the state is is a function of sourcing and sourcing on the sales tech side on services may be different than selling on yep. the income tech side. But ultimately, that's where we're going. They want everybody to be taxable everywhere. Everywhere, sales, yes. right? Yes. And you know, I, I will defend against that to the nth degree because that's not what our laws say now. But yep. ultimately, maybe that's where we got to go. And then sure, we I mean, chat room, the MTC having a chat room, having an application. I mean, give me a break. No one of things on the internet. One of it was like one: you can't go to a website without saying like, "Hey, we're tracking our your cookies." Like, we have access yeah. to data. We're going to collect data, right? I know you but, can't even look at it without getting also, rid of the big box. You got to one of them. It. One of them isn't even a chat box. It's like if you send an email to customer service, and it's like. Okay, that's dumb. Like, right. And if it's like, okay, well, if I have the ability to do this, someone, like, how am I really going to monitor that? And it's just like, okay, well, general policy is like, yeah, I might not know that someone directly is answering a chat function that's non static in Nebraska, but I have to presume that they are because I have the ability to do that. So it's kind of like, I'm, yeah. I can't Static prove FAQs, it. I'm gonna... Right. Static FAQs are fine, right? If you could read a question, they give you an answer. It's on the website. No big deal. But if they respond to you, if you're able to ask a question, that goes beyond it. But if I picked up the phone and called them and someone answered, that's legit. I don't right. get it. That's right? ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Everybody's doing chat boxes. I just did it last weekend. I got an extra discount off my anthropology order because everything <laughs> I bought went on sale even more. And I got a 25% discount, 14 days from purchase. So I chatted with them and they did it. I didn't call anybody. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.